we're doing a little bit of a topical interlude. So usually we preach through books of the Bible, and we're going to start doing that again next week. We're going to pick up where we left off last year in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to pick up from a really great chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, which uh, next week will be all about marriage and singleness and that kind of stuff. So come along next week, and we'll work through 1 Corinthians. But today, um, we're going to do a little bit of a topical interlude on the theme of welcoming. Now, I've got a little confession to make. And that is, Aldi is my happy place. Anyone else love Aldi? Like, Aldi is the kind of place, if I have nothing else to do, I will just go to Aldi. Just walk around. Aldi. Lasagna is your happy place. Oh, right. Aldi does sell lasagna. Yes. Thank you, Alex. Um, So imagine my delight when I saw a Facebook ad pop up, and it's like, get credit at Aldi for shopping at Aldi, right? Essentially get paid to shop at Aldi. And I'm like, whoa, if I had time to do it, I would totally be onto it. Imagine that getting paid to shop at your favorite store. Now, I didn't take it up, but these things actually do exist. You know that, right? You can actually get paid to shop as mystery shoppers. Do you you guys know about mystery shopping? Yeah? So you go to a shop and you're employed by the the store or or an agency to basically investigate how good this shop is. And by becoming a mystery shopper, you either get paid in, in, in payment or you get paid in credit, like the Aldi thing. So it got me thinking, I wonder what kind of things mystery shoppers actually encounter. I, I, what, what kind of things do they find out when they go to a shop as mystery shoppers? So I went on a website and there, there's actually a bunch of stuff that mystery shoppers have written. So, for example, one mystery shopper goes to a coffee shop and he, he wants to test the employee at the till whether this employee knew about all of their products. So he asked the guy, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really sick of my old coffee. What is the difference between an espresso, a latte, and a cappuccino? And the guy simply looks at him and goes, I don't know, dude. I just press the button and the stuff comes out. That actually happened. I got a longer report. Let me read this one out. This was an interesting one. A mystery shopper says, One day I was mystery shopping at a chain shoe store at the shopping center. I went in, I was looking at children's shoes. Two employees were visible. One was talking intimately with a girl in the corner. One was on the phone on an obvious personal, not a work-related phone call. I was totally ignored. After five minutes, I asked for assistance, which met with dirty looks and disgust as if I'd interrupted them. Then an older couple came in and sat down. The lady got out a little notepad Uh, which I did look, and it was actually a shopping list. But both employees immediately went over and catered to them. I overheard one of the employees tell the other that they were due to be shopped by a mystery shopper, and they were sure it was that couple. I heard the one employee say they were tired of getting bad reports and getting in trouble. They absolutely fell all over this couple while continuing to ignore me. While talking to each other, I heard them saying that this time the reports would be great no matter how they, what they did. They made fun of the couple behind their back about how dumb they were, but it didn't matter as they knew who they were and were sure they made a good impression at this time. All the while, I was ignored and was treated rudely as they did all but kiss this couple's feet as they assisted them. After the couple left, they were high-fiving and calling people saying what a great job they did as I still stood there observing and being ignored. They again failed after this report, and the store was closed. There you go. Not such a good mystery shopper report. 
I want you to imagine for a moment, what if Jesus came as a mystery guest in every single church? What if he did that? Like, you know, that show Undercover Boss. What would Jesus find? How would Jesus be greeted? How would he be welcomed? And what if he, like back in his day, he didn't come as the well-to-do, educated, middle-class, professional, respected segment of our society. What if he came as the minority, as the person on the social fringe, as the guy you wouldn't look twice at if he passed you on the street? And what if he brought with him a couple of his friends? Jesus' friends. You know the kind of friends he made? Prostitutes, cheats, terrorists. Would he, would they be welcomed at Southwest Evangelical Church? Well, I want to suggest to you, and the reason why we're looking at welcoming is because welcoming is ultimately a theological issue. You got that? It's a theological issue, not a practical one. Right? It's ultimately a theological one. It's not about how well we organize our greeters, our bulletins, our data. No, no, no. It's ultimately theological. Because whether we succeed or fail as a church community in welcoming will reflect what we really believe about God. You got that? See, a not welcoming church is a church that hasn't got the right view of God. Because our welcome, as we'll see, ultimately flows out of God's welcome of us. So let me pray, and then we'll use John chapter 4 as a springboard into looking at the theme of welcoming. Let's pray. Father God, please help us to understand firstly your welcome, that it might today overflow into our welcome. In Jesus' name, amen. I've got a few points for you. Um, On the inside of the bulletins you got when you came in, and the first thing uh, that I want you to notice in this interaction between Jesus and the woman is that Jesus turns the tables on her. It's a really interesting conversation they have, right? Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Uh, she thought that she was being asked by Jesus to provide hospitality. Being asked for a drink of water is a ho- in the ancient world is, is an act of hospitality. She thought Jesus was asking her to be hospitable. But actually what you'll find by the end of the chapter with all the funny and interesting and sometimes awkward questions that Jesus asked her, it was all an opportunity for Jesus to welcome her. That's what's going on here. Jesus is welcoming her. She was totally set up by Jesus so that she would be welcomed by Him. And then if you skip all the way to the end of the chapter, we didn't read this out, but if you have your Bibles open, keep it open. Um, Verse 39, look, look what happens, not just to this woman, but to the village she comes from. Verse 39, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, that's Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. You see, at the end of the chapter, they, the whole town that she belonged to, they welcomed Jesus and his disciples an act of hospitality, letting them stay for two days. Huge act. Why? Why did they want to welcome Jesus at the end? It was because Jesus first welcomed her and indirectly first welcomed them. See, this is the logic of Christianity, right? What God asks of us is actually utterly impossible 
unless you've experienced it yourself. That our welcome for others comes ultimately because we've been welcomed. We must receive before we can give. So 1 John chapter 4, 19, don't turn to it. Remember it says, we love because what? He first loved us. Do you see, unless God's love for you has so affected you, if it hasn't broken you, if it hasn't melted you or remade you, you can't love in the way that God wants you to love because, hey, you know what? Anyone can welcome a friend. Anyone can welcome someone who is nice, a lot like them. Christianity is the only religion that says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Welcome those who hate you. Yeah, God asks the impossible, doesn't he? Right? And you can't do that unless you first recognize that, well, I'm an enemy of God, but God has loved me. I'm someone who's blasphemed and disobeyed Him, and, but He has blessed me. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it's great that you've come because I want you to know right now, right here, that Christianity has really very little to do, if nothing to do, with moral self-improvement. It's not about moral self-improvement. A lot of people misunderstand. Be a Christian because it makes you a better person. In that way, it's like any other religion or philosophy. Well, it's not. And that's why in Christianity, you can't become more Christian as if you can, you know, level up. It doesn't work like that. Christianity is about a radical, born-again experience. The Bible says you were dead, you become alive. You don't become more alive if you're dead. You just need to become alive. It's a it's a dark to light sort of transformation. So you experience God's love for you. And that is such a monumental, amazing thing that it then sets off a chain reaction and it leaves no behavior unturned. And what starts it is God's welcome for you. That's where it starts. It's not about what I must do. It's about what God's done for me. But that changes everything. All right, so that's the first thing. When it comes to welcoming, when it comes to receiving, uh, sorry, giving, you must receive first. That's the logic of the good news, the gospel. The second thing we want to do is let's have a look closer at this passage. And what do we learn about the way that God welcomes in, in what Jesus does? So we've got um, this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And there's four things I want to point out. And the first thing is how Jesus breaks all the barriers. You think about what stops us from welcoming people, befriending people who are especially unlike us. It's often the barriers that we feel and we fear. Well, look at the barriers that Jesus breaks. And that's why this woman was so utterly shocked when Jesus even asks her for water. Um, Let's go back to verse number 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I want to point out four barriers that Jesus broke, even by opening his mouth. Number one, racial. The translation's probably not strong enough. Literally, that bit in the brackets, Jews do not associate with Samaritans, is literally Jews don't use the same dishes as Samaritans. It's an utter separation. It's a bit like in South Africa, the apartheid days. It's like, 
in, in, in parts of India still, the caste system, okay? Right? Don't touch, don't associate, and certainly don't intermarry. The reason why Jews and Samaritans were so segregated, so separated, is because Samaritans were descended from racially and religiously compromised former Jews. But over hundreds of years, they've become uh, the, 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 the racial group that the Jews looked down on. Okay, so there was that racial barrier that Jesus crossed by even talking to her. The second barrier is gender. Right? Jewish men don't even in public converse with Jewish women, especially if they're not married to them, let alone a Samaritan woman. Okay, men and women in the Jewish synagogues, Jewish men and women, set, sat separately. Right? That was how much there was even a gender gap between Jews, or how much more so a Samaritan woman. So the gender barrier, the first one was racial, second gender, the third one is religious. As I said, Samaritans had compromised their religion. They set up an alternative worship, had an alternative Bible, which, okay, for us in plural, pluralistic, multicultural Australia, it doesn't seem like a big deal with lots of religions. But have a think about the countries where religious differences actually meant bloodshed. I mean, just amongst Islam, there's Sunni Muslims, there's Shiite Muslims. Only a few decades ago in parts of Northern Ireland, right, if you were Catholic or Protestant, now that was the kind of situation Samaritans and Jews were in. They were at war religiously, and Jesus crossed that barrier. And the last barrier that Jesus crossed is moral. Right, moral. See, <clears throat> we have here a little detail about it being the middle of the day. Now, if you are in Palestine in the middle of the day, it's probably the worst time of the day to go out and draw water. So why would this woman come out to draw water on her own, right, not with the other women who probably came early in the day or late in the day when the sun was setting or rising, when it wasn't as hot, why would she come on her own in the middle of the day? Because Jesus knew, and his questions were going in this direction, right? Even among her own people, this woman was known as, there's some really unnice words I could use, but I won't use them. Let's just call her a shady lady, all right? A shady lady. She has had five husbands and one live-in, which even by modern standards is a little bit, right? Now do you see why she was so astounded? Because morally, she was an outcast even in her own society. So when Jesus talks to her, asks her for some water, she's freaked out. She's like, what's going on? Because I can't e she couldn't even imagine why Jesus, a Jewish man, would, would even ask her for water, would ask her for hospitality. And it was difficult for her to welcome Jesus, not because of who Jesus was, but ultimately because of who she was. And she knew it, and she knew that Jesus knew it. Now, this is really important for us because, again, one of the biggest barriers to what? To us welcoming people well, who are not like us, is that we're afraid of the differences. We're afraid of those barriers that come up. Well, you know what? The barriers that we might have with others are tiny compared with the big barriers that stand between us and the God of the universe, the God who became flesh and came as Jesus. I mean, consider for a moment the distance between you and me as human beings. 
and the God who made everything. I mean, why should God welcome any of us? Uh, firstly, just on the fact that He's God and we're dust. I mean, He's divine. Our lives pass by like a breath. He never had a beginning, nor will He have an end. We're limited in so many ways, limited in our ability, we're limited in our understanding, in our power. God is infinite, infinite in every way. You know the big omni words, omnipotent, omniscient. He knows everything. He can do everything, omnipotent, omnipresent. He can be everywhere. That's the comparison just in terms of being of us and God. But that's not the only distance, right? Most of all, the Bible says that the biggest barrier between us and God is the word called sin. See, we can compare and take comfort that we're not as bad as that Samaritan woman or someone you might know or the person out on the streets. But again, how can you compare with God? That God is so holy, says the Bible, that any speck of sin would burn up in His presence. That He dwells in unapproachable light. And, and, and if we're honest to ourselves, we can see a lot of darkness in our own hearts often, can't we? What is the distance between us and God? Are there barriers between us and God? You bet. Should God welcome us? No, He shouldn't. And yet, He does. That's the amazing thing. He broke every barrier to come to us. And so the next thing I want you to notice is the initiative of Jesus. Jesus asks her for water. But all along, He's been wanting to give her water. <laughs> he's asking for a water, but it's a setup so that He can give her what she really needs. And so that's why He probed with those uncomfortable questions about her past. It's not to shame her, not to condemn her, but he wants to show her through that line of questioning, which we can't look at in detail, but that line of questioning you'll see will expose something so missing in her heart so that she might see that only he can give it. Now I want you to know Jesus is offering the same to all of us. The thing that's most missing in every human heart, he is offering you today. And he has taken the initiative to do that. Now, if you are a Christian and a follower of Jesus, from a human point of view, you might think of the time when you started searching for God. And generally there is. Right? For a lot of us, I remember that time when I really reached out and really took an interest or came along to Fresh and opened the Bible. And that's true. But you know what? Behind that, the Bible would say, God would say, that you wouldn't have even begun searching for God if God hadn't searched for you first. It's like when Jesus meets the short tax-collecting Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is up a tree, if you know the story. He's the reject of his society too. Jesus comes up to him. He looks up and he says, Zach, come down. I'm going to have dinner at your place tonight. He takes the initiative. Like the father in Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son. You remember, we just looked at that a few weeks ago. The father who was waiting out the front for the son to come back. He didn't wait for the son to come through the gates. He was miles away from the gate, looking for his son every day, taking the initiative. So God in Jesus, his welcome takes the initiative. That's what Jesus does with this woman. That's the second thing. The third thing is, of course, sacrificial. His welcome is sacrificial. Um, the book of John is probably one of my favorite 
biographies of Jesus because John is a master of the hidden details. There's details here you've got to notice. Verse number 6 says that Jesus was tired. Now, that might not seem like a big detail to you, but it's actually a really important detail when you think of it because who is Jesus? Remember, Jesus is God come in the flesh. Now, if God is all the omnis I talked about, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, infinite, then why would God get tired? Well, it's because, of, as I said already, in order to break these barriers, to take these initiatives, to welcome us, God actually became a fully human person. God as God would not have gotten tired, but God as a man, fully man, the infinite became finite. He was tired because he became one of us. Like you think about that. God actually became a human person in order to break that barrier. What a sacrifice that would have been. He crossed it to become limited. He bothered to come down to our level. There's another detail I want you to notice. The fact that Jesus is offering her living water. What does living water mean? Well, in the dry Middle East where water is everything, and you know, in parts of Australia right now, in New South Wales, there's actually a lot of drought. Farmers will tell you how important water is. Water is life, right? You can go, what is it, three weeks without food, but only three days without water. And so living water is a symbol in the Bible of eternal life. It's not just the water, it's the fact that it can fulfill you. It can really satisfy you. This is what the woman was looking for. This is what Jesus wanted the woman to see she needed. What she needed was living water. And maybe you're honest enough with yourself today that what you know you really need, that hole in your heart that nothing else can fill, whether it's money or career or success or relationships, that hole can only be filled by what Jesus is offering, living water. Nothing can substitute for that. And Jesus is going to give her living water. And Jesus is offering living water to you and me. But how does he do it? How does Jesus give living water? Well, there's another little detail later on, right at the end of John. Jesus is hanging on the cross, crucified. And in the lovely way that John, the author of this biography of Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, eyewitness to what happened, he puts in this little detail that no other biographer... Matthew, Mark, or Luke puts in, that as Jesus was dying, and as he died, and after he drew his last breath, and the Roman soldier takes his spear and he pierces the side of Jesus, you remember that, to check if he had died, John writes this little detail that blood and water flowed out. The blood, obviously, is the blood of his death, but it's a symbolic blood. It's the blood of sacrifice. The water makes us think of this chapter. Early on in John chapter 4, Jesus says, I will give you living water. Right? Jesus, in his death, in that symbolic flow of water, that's how he gives us living water. Living water comes out of him dying. Eternal life costs the eternal one his life. Jesus sacrificed himself for this welcome. The biggest barrier that needs to be crossed, as I said, is sin. Our darkness, His light. How does He cross that? Well, the shedding of blood can overcome that. 
Jesus dies in our place for all of our sins, past, present, and future. He takes it in our place. He dies for us. In that death, the gates of eternal life and living water are open for us, but it cost him everything. And last of all, Jesus' welcome is so transforming. As I said right at the end of the chapter, we won't read it again. It changed her, right? She ran back to a town. Remember, she's the reject of the town. No one wants to come and draw water with her. She's the shady lady. She doesn't care anymore. She goes into town. She tells everyone, he told me everything I ever did. This guy's the real deal. And then because of her and her testimony, the whole town welcomes Jesus and his disciples. Everything is transformed. But I want you to know, again, that first point I made, you've got to receive before you can give, which means the welcome comes before the transformation. You got that? The welcome comes before the transformation. It's the welcome that Jesus gives her that brings about this change. And that's a really important point when it comes to churches and welcoming, because I'll tell you what, it's very easy for churches to want the transformation before they give the welcome. Do you know what I mean? We want the transformation before we welcome someone. See, we don't think and we don't communicate, at least, in our actions, in our welcome. Hey, whoever you are, come as you are. We don't do that often, right? How many people feel like, I can't even step into church and be welcomed unless I change first? Is that true? We often communicate that you've got to be transformed before you get welcomed. No, 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 that's not the right order. The welcome... The welcome brings about the transformation. Jesus says to you and me, come as you are. Just as you are. Broken, hurting, proud, blind, desperate, cynical. Come as you are. Let me welcome you. But know this, my welcome will transform you. Come as you are, but you won't stay as you are. Let me transform you from the inside out. So you want to get welcome right? God's welcome is not about coming well. And neither should ours be. Welcome is not about coming well, coming already all figured out, already changed. No, no. Welcome is coming to the well, to Jesus, the well. Coming to the well, just as you are. There you go. A little bit of pun. Welcome, come well, coming to the well. I'll leave it with you. Okay. What does this mean for, all, for us now? My final point. Um, needless to say, our welcome needs to start with the gospel, the good news. That's what gospel means. Our experience of Jesus' welcome, of grace. So the starting point is always, how have I been welcomed by God? Then, how can I let that overflow? That's the starting point. How has God welcomed me? How does that overflow? So gospel-centered welcoming is going to be intensely other person-centered, right? Because think, how has God welcomed me? What has He done? He's broken barriers. He's made sacrifices. He's taken the initiative. He puts me first. So I've got to think like the way that God thinks when it comes to welcoming. I've got to be thinking, where are they at? I've got to be thinking, how would they feel? You see, I think the longer you've been in church, the harder it is to remember what it was like being a newcomer. Now, the great thing about this church is we're not that old, and a lot of you are fairly new. Do you remember when you first came? Right? It's not that easy being a newcomer, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, and especially if you're not familiar at all with church. It's weird, right? You sing songs. You stand up. 
At times, you sit down at times, you say things like, it's really a strange experience. Okay? Visit a church sometimes, just as a thought experiment. When you're on holidays, go somewhere, visit a church where you know no one. How difficult it is, even in a good church, to feel welcome. So we've got to be thinking, how would the newcomer feel? We've got to take the initiative to cross the barriers, because that's what God does for us. And if it costs us, but if we understand God's welcome, then that kind of barrier-breaking, initiative-taking, gospel-centered welcome will transform a person. Do you know what? Um, for many, many people, especially if they're not yet followers of Jesus, I'll tell you what, this is the most practical way that they experience the good news of Jesus. They will experience God's welcome through you through us. That's how they experience it. But the other thing I want to say is that you can't be a welcoming church if only a few people who are rostered on are doing the welcoming. And we talked about this a few, uh, a couple of months ago when Brian, who's head of our, our um, membership or welcoming ministry team at church, shared about how we've got to create a, a welcoming culture which actually means whether you are a leader at this church, a regular at church, even if you're relatively new, and that's a lot of you, we all have a part to play in creating this welcoming culture. And it's really quite simple, you know. It often just involves looking around on a Sunday, right? Especially just before church, when people are coming in and sitting down, just after church, when people have dispersed. Look out for people who are on their own. Who looks new? Who looks like they're in need of a hello, a warm handshake, a bit of conversation? I um, mean, our church often is also, if, if they haven't got a printed name tag, they're, they're generally new or newish. Or who looks a bit lost when it comes to, hey, it's time to read the Bible and there's pew Bibles and they don't know where to look and where to find it. How can you help? How do you take the initiative to, to meet, to sit down next to them, to greet them, to invite them, to say, hey, come to lunch with me? And by the way, the best and most helpful thing you could probably do in order to make that happen is come early, right? Because new people generally come early or on time and stay late. Don't be in a hurry to leave. Now, this is a larger congregation as well. I think a lot of people are away today, but usually we get 130, 150, 160 people sometimes. And what happens is people go into cliques, right? Because in a large group, you're comfortable just around the people you know. Um, in this congregation, mostly as opposed to our smaller congregation in the afternoon in Bankstown, people will form cliques very easily. You'll know the group that you want to automatically go talk to. Here is something that you can do very practically, and it's something that I learned at my old church. There were these people who obviously were comfortable, they had their clique, but they all together made a resolve that they would not catch up with their own friends until they've all had a conversation or being a friend to someone they're currently not friends with. So they eventually would catch up with their friends, often over dinner, after the church service. But they say, no, the first people I will go to straight after the church service finishes will not be my clique. I'll go meet someone older than me, someone younger than me, someone new. You see what I mean? It's very simple. For some of us, that's big, bit out of our comfort zone. But imagine if every person did that. It would change the culture, wouldn't it? How about barriers? Well, have a, here's another thought experiment. 
look around, especially if you're a new person, think, if I was, fill in the blanks, I would find it hard to fit in. What would the blank be at our church? At every church, there's going to be something there. Lots of things there. Right? Look around. If I was X or Y, I would find it hard to fit in. If I was a divorced person, if I was disabled, if I was long-term unemployed, if English is really my not very good language, second language, third language, if I was a refugee, if I was a smoker, if I was Arabic or Middle Eastern, if I was an ex-whatever, druggy, criminal, would I find it hard to fit in? Probably. A welcoming church recognizes that just by the makeup of the people who come regularly, there's going to be barriers. So if you're a welcoming and a gospel-centered person, you are thinking it's not for them to fit in. It's not for them to become like me. It's for me to become like them. It's for me to cross barriers. Now, what does that look like practically? You can do this by helping make a connection. So someone comes in, and they're very unlike you. Right? There's a barrier there. They're probably even perhaps very unlike the dominant group. But if you know and can make a connection between them and someone who also comes to here, who is just half a step closer to them than you are, that's a good start. So you don't have to think, I need to create all the barrier breaking. Sometimes it's really hard. I say you're 15 years old and you meet someone who's 75 years old walking to our church for the first time. Yeah, you might be thinking, I don't have a lot of co- things in common with someone who's my grandparents' age. But you will be able to find someone who's perhaps 65 years old and say, hey, can I introduce you to someone? You see what I mean? Well, probably the 75-year-old would love to have a 15-year-old chat to them anyway, so don't worry too much about that. But you can actually help make a connection as well. And last of all, community happens outside of Sunday gatherings, right? No one who just connects with people once a week on a Sunday is really going to feel part of the community. This very weekend, there are at least two community groups away, on their weekends away. Community groups, midweek groups where people meet together to read the Bible, to pray for each other, to do life together. That's a great thing to get involved in. So if you're not part of a community group, join one. If you want to know how to do that, right, send an email to info at swec.org.au and say, I'd like to join a community group or indicate on the um, welcome to church cards. Join a community group. You see, our Sunday, our church is designed like this. Sunday church, when we gather now, that's for us together to engage with God. And it's sort of like in science, you know, catalysts, okay? It's a catalyst for the life outside of gatherings. It's not an end in itself. It's so that we can stir up and fill up so that we can overflow to life outside of the gathering. And so welcoming needs to extend not just to the bit before church, the bit during church, the bit after church. It has to extend beyond this hour and a half, which means follow-up is important, yeah? See, I will know, and I, I, by the way, when I talk about welcoming, I'm actually preaching a little bit to the converted because, you know, I'm really proud of you guys, actually. Because one of the things that I get the most frequent feedback from new people is, you guys are really welcoming. So firstly, great, you're doing well, pat on the back. This is not about 
what you're not doing. This is about how we can do even better. All right? So you're doing really well. But I really love, I'll tell you what I really love seeing, and I do see it sometimes, and I think we can continue to see it more, is when I as a pastor find out only way after the fact that you individually or together have taken the initiative to follow up on new people. You're not on the greeting desk. You're not rostered on. But you've met a new person. You've taken down their number. You've rung them up during the week. You've said, come over for a meal. You've invited them out to lunch. And I didn't even know what was happening. That's when we know we have a welcoming culture. You're already doing that. You can do it more because that will actually add to people's feeling of welcome. You see, community group CGs are great, but it's just a structure. It's not going to fit everyone. Some will not ever be able to join a CG. Who's going to connect with them? All right? It's going to be up to you. All right, let me um, conclude. I started with, right, real testimonies from secret mystery shoppers. I'm going to read out uh, the testimony of a real secret church visitor. So this actually happens, I think, in America. People go and visit churches like a mystery shopper. So this is what this person wrote. Nothing makes my heart happier than when I run into volunteers who love God and serve their church with a smile and open arms. This past weekend, I was able to reconnect with two of the best volunteers I've ever encountered in all of my secret church visits. Linda and her husband, Harrod, have been greeting at First Baptist Church Jacksonville for decades. They greeted me during my first visit to the church. They took the time to walk me around, answered all my questions, asked me to sit with them once they realized I was alone, even offered to take me out to lunch after the service. I couldn't help but love them. It's been three years since our first encounter, and they're still serving with smiles, open arms, and hearts welcoming newcomers and making them feel like longtime family friends. Every time I visit a new church, I secretly hope to find someone as hospitable as them. Honestly, I don't remember one point of the sermon from my first visit. That's going to be true. It's okay. But I remember how good I felt about being there because of how well I was welcomed by Linda and Harry. And you can bet that's going to be the experience of all the newcomers at our church. They generally don't remember what I say. But they will remember how they've been welcomed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your incredible barrier-breaking, initiative-taking, sacrificial, transforming,